Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Well, the trend continues. I don't know what I'm going to be able to do about this. I might have to change when I do the show. It might have to be on the fly. I know it's bad for business to debut an episode on different days of the week. But I've had absolutely enough of this. This is our sixth consecutive episode to debut after a loss. Six in a row. The following day, I've had to talk for roughly 45 minutes about the team when I'm in just a foul mood after the loss from the night before. I don't know, maybe when they win, I'm just going to have to record the next day and then not post it until the following Tuesday or Wednesday. And then just deal with missing two or three games in between or whatever it's going to be because I can't do this anymore. But we're going to talk about it and I'm going to have fun doing it too. Welcome to the Believe in Avalanche podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I am Eric Pesolano. You can follow us on Twitter at Believe in Avs, B-L-E-A-V in Avs. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Eric underscore Pesolano. You can also follow me on TikTok. Yes, I said that. Eric Pesolano is the name. You can find me there. All right, I guess we'll get into it here. We're going to talk about this team. The last two games have not been fun to watch. At least the results haven't been fun. There have been some bright spots here and there. I'm going to try to keep the positive like I tend to do when I'm on the air recording this. It's going to be tough, but we're going to get through this. Today on the show, we got a lot for you. Of course, we're going to look back at all four games from the previous week. We'll take a look ahead to the only three games between this show and our next episode, instead of what has become a routine four. We're going to also take a deeper look into hits in the NHL, specifically the illegal ones that seem to be happening at a frequent rate over the last couple of weeks. Also going to take a look at some big news that happened earlier today, right before I started recording this, and something that makes me happy and brings back a bit of nostalgia. We'll talk about that a little bit later on, and we'll have some news and notes around the league. But first... Of course, we're going to start off with the roster, with this Colorado Avalanche team. It's just shuffling every single day. I mean, I'm not sure we've seen this much shuffling in a deck of cards in Vegas. And I'm seriously debating cutting out that analogy because it was very cheesy. And I don't like that kind of stuff. Or maybe I'll leave it in. Who knows? We'll find out in post. We'll find out together when we listen for the first time. But we saw in the most recent game, Greg Patteron returned to play some defense. We saw Miko Rantanen move over to center just because of how many injuries keep occurring on this team. I mean, good news is on the horizon. Kel McCarr, Nate McKinnon, Bo Byram, they're getting closer. How much closer? We don't really know. Nathan McKinnon, however, as we saw right before I started recording this show here today, he skated in practice, wore the blue jersey, not the red non-contact jersey. So that's a great sign. Looks like he may be on track to play in the team's next game against Arizona. So we'll see how that plays out, but certainly something to look forward to because there hasn't been a whole lot. And, you know, we'll talk about that when we get to the last two games that we're going to recap. But, you know, I've said it all year, Jared and Joe doing whatever they can to shuffle this team around to make sure they can, A, feel the team to play the games every night, but also be successful in a year where they were considered the favorites or whatever. So having to make moves this frequently, play this many defensemen, and get the production you're starting to see out of players that probably won't play as big a minutes as they are now, 
I mean, if you looked at practice on Tuesday morning, we saw, first of all, McKinnon come back and skate. But we also saw, because it was not a voluntary practice, we saw Devon Taves and we saw Sam Girard not skate around because they skated their hearts out in the game on Monday night and they need some time to recover and I don't think anybody blames them. For as many defensemen that have played this year, you know that's going to put more pressure on the guys who are considered at the top of that list and of course Girard and Taves are certainly those two guys right now. So with them moving up, that means more minutes, they're going to need more rest time. So we'll see what they can do with that rest and hopefully turn it into more production. Sam Girard has been doing very well. That kid skates out there like there's no tomorrow. Devon Taves, need to see him get it going just a little bit more. Did great at the start of the year after he came back from missing a couple games after he was hit quite illegally. Foreshadowing. But again, the roster shuffle continues and hopefully brighter days are ahead. Three opponents this week, well three games this week, only two opponents that should be a six-point week. It should be. You got Arizona, LA, and LA. Got to win these games, especially against the Kings, who are creeping up right behind them. Same thing with Arizona. The one good thing you can look at with LA, and we'll talk about this a little bit later on, is they now are in the midst of their freeway face-off with the Anaheim Ducks. Maybe they get run down a little bit. They get tired from having to battle their crosstown rivals. Maybe they're a little weak going into the two games at uh, weekend's beginning. So we'll see how that all shapes up. But of course, with all this going on, of course there's what I think is a bit of a jinx for being named the favorite to start the season. And I asked that question on Twitter and on Instagram. Is it a jinx to be considered the favorites before a season starts? I don't care what team you are. We're talking about the Avalanche here, but I just mean in general, any team. If you're named the favorite, is it a jinx? Of course there's going to be some teams who you know are probably going to take it. I would argue that there's been only really one team in sports that I can recall that from the start of the season all the way to the end, you really knew they were going to win. I'm not talking about any Lakers team. I'm not talking about any Red Wings team. I'm talking about the Kentucky Wildcats basketball team, men's basketball team from 2012 when Anthony Davis was in town. Everybody knew that team was going to go wire to wire and win the title. And that's exactly what they did. Aside from that, if you're a favorite, it may not necessarily work out for you. So anyway, we posted the poll question. Is it considered a jinx if you're the favorite starting the regular season? And 85% of you said yes. And I thought I was the negative one around here. But you know what? I agree with it. I think it can be a jinx. Look what's happening with this team. There's a lot of arguments out there saying, oh, well, the Avs have been getting injured for the past three years or so. This is something that happens regularly. I, I gotta be honest with you, go back and look. It wasn't happening like this. There wasn't crazy occurrences. They didn't hit 27 posts in the span of just a couple of months the way they have. This is outrageous. Jared Bednar had a quote after the Arizona game on Monday night saying, basically, and this isn't verbatim, but we're making every goaltender look like an all-star. I said that on this show either last week or the week before. Every goaltender this team is facing is looking like a potential Vezina winner, and that's got to stop. And it really isn't because of the quality of play from this team. They're getting great looks. Things are running smoothly. They're getting pretty good chances on net, and it's just not going. You're getting goaltenders that are pushing off from left to right, from right to left, 
getting the glove up, putting the blocker up at the right time, getting a little help from a blocked shot. How many wide-open nets has this team failed to score on? And to be honest with you, for how many there are, I would say they've probably failed to score on their own accord maybe twice. Maybe. Everything else was a spectacular save by the goaltender or just a great defensive play made. I don't know what else they can do. They're playing pretty well, especially consider the personnel that's out on the ice every night. And it's just not working. I don't know what you can change. All you can do really is weather the storm until this roster gets back to full capacity, which by the way, it has not been for even a single game this season. And when I say full capacity, I mean you have your full starters out there, your top lines, your full D pairings, and your backup netminder. Now, that's an easy thing to say because Francois hasn't been there all year. So of course I could say that. But it's not just that. Eric Johnson was out to start the year. He's out again right now. But even when he came back, somebody else was out of the lineup. So they haven't played together as a full unit so far this season. And it's really unfair to criticize the way they've played. Because we haven't seen them at full capacity. We can criticize how they're playing with what they have. That's understandable. I get that. I do it every night when I watch the games. But to do so from a standpoint of being a Stanley Cup favorite and having those expectations with the personnel out there right now, it's unfair. And we have to echo this every single week until they get back to healthy because they're going to lose games they probably shouldn't. You can't just look at the logo and think, oh, they're going to come out here and beat us tonight. I was watching the Kings and Ducks game after or during the first intermission of the Avs game against Arizona the other night. And John Allers, who's a spectacular play-by-play voice here in Southern California for the Anaheim Ducks, he said the Ducks got a great win against a high-flying avalanche team. And I would agree with him if the entire roster was playing. And they're not. It's a stigma around the league that when you see that A coming into town, oh boy, look out. That's not the case when you don't have everybody there. It's just not it. And I don't want to bag on anybody too much, but there's a reason a lot of the guys who are in the lineup right now aren't in it on a regular basis. It's because their talent level doesn't quite match up to the guys in front of them. And we know that, and that's not a bad thing. But it is going to lead to more losses and more disappointing performances in wins than we're expecting from this club. So settle down. I'm trying to do it myself. I get it. I'm trying to preach to a choir over here and not from a standpoint of us already being calm, but from the opposite. (laughs) We're all freaking out, and I'm telling you to calm down, but I'm freaking out too. But things are going to be fine. I still think this team's going to the playoffs, and I still think they're going to get there healthy because there's still a long way to go. We're not even at the halfway point of the regular season yet. We're just shy. A couple more and then we'll get to that 28 mark. Still a long way to go. And I think we all need to take a collective deep breath. And I don't know if this rant is just to make myself feel better about things or if it's to help you too. But things are going to be fine. Trust me. All right. We got that out of the way. 85% of you think it's a jinx to be the favorites to start the season. And I agree. Some wacky stuff is happening with this squad. No doubt about it. All right, let's go back and take a look at the games from this previous week. Of course, 
There were four in total. San Jose was first up, and this was no doubt about it, the best game of the week for the club as they were up in the Bay Area. This one, a couple notes before we get into this recap. Only left-handed defensemen were available in this game, which is, again, just another one of those wacky things we talk about. First team to score three goals in an Avalanche game this year, 16-0-1 going into this contest. And this would be one of those times, because of course we know Colorado won the game. But let's go ahead and move along there early on. Phil Grubauer had to be on his game, had to make three straight saves on one single possession, all pretty much one flurry right in front of him. So he was off to a good start. You can always rely on him this season, it appears. Ryan Graves had some good pressure as he was activating from the point, trying to get something going offensively. They were zipping around too. Burakovsky had a great backhander that went right through the goal mouth. We saw it skip off the bottom of the goaltender and come all the way to the near side after it hit Jones. Abs went to a power play after zipping around. They got LeBanc slashing. Pretty good rush in front during that kill. Jones, though, again, this is just another one of those cases of the opposing goaltender being absolutely stellar. So shots came left and right. They couldn't score. Another power play that they were unable to capitalize on. But, hey, what are you going to do? On the other end of the ice, Graves almost, almost became the fourth Avalanche player this year to score an own goal. Keep that in mind because we've got three more games to recap after this one. But a pretty good finish to that first period. Played pretty well as a whole against the Sharks. And in the last 10 first periods at this point, Avs had only allowed one combined goal in those 10 first periods. It's pretty good. Pretty good. No penalties in that first frame too. Avs were able to stay out of the box. Outshot the Sharks 10-9 in the frame. Out hit them 7-6 too. And remember, we always talk about physicality. You need to see it a lot more. Could be something we see this week too as we continue on. Avs start that second period. With an early power play as Blitchfeld got called for hooking. Jam job in front during that power play. A couple good chances. They couldn't score again. And it just becomes so frustrating. But, you know, some positives to take away from it. Jacob McDonald, not afraid to get involved. I think this kid is one of the bright spots for the young ones coming up. He is not afraid to stick his nose in there and, and activate himself up from the point and get involved offensively. Doesn't have a whole lot of points, but you know what? He's one of those guys who's not going to show up in the scorebooks a lot, but is huge for the team. It's at this point that Avs get a little bit discombobulated. They get a little bit tired. Grubauer's got a hold serve in the net. Sharks start to rush, but of course, Grubauer able to stand tall in net. Avalanche then come back. They do get a goal. Ranton in with a one-timer off the feed from McKinnon. Secondary helper there for Landeskog, of course. Taves, a big play by him to keep it alive along the boards over there. And the three-headed monster, for the first time in quite some time, are able to connect for a goal. The old Rantanen from McKinnon and Landeskog. So that was good to see. They lead one nothing at the end of the second period after they were able to kill off a power play too. Their first of this game. Pretty much held control of this one from start to finish. But in the start of that third period, it didn't feel like they could do anything wrong. But they still couldn't score a goal at the start of the period. It was one to nothing. They had the lead, but my goodness. And then finally, finally, Sammy Gerard off the draw is able to take one from Rantanen and put it home. Landeskog won the draw. He gets the secondary assist, but it's good to see Sammy G back on the board. It's two nothing abs at this point. And then this is when our conversation a little bit later will continue. But Blitzfeld given a match penalty for going right at Nathan McKinnon's jaw. We saw the shoulder into the face, and we haven't seen Nate since. 
I haven't seen him since. I'm not going to get too deep into the discussion about this hit because we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but it led to an Avs major power play. Gabe Landeskog able to poke one home on a rebound. Team did not celebrate all that much. They knew they were able to, you know, get their third goal of the game, pretty much break this thing wide open, and you knew that was pretty much the end of the night for the Sharks, but no celebrations for Colorado. Nazem Kadri gets an assist on the play, and there's Gabe Landeskog. We talk about scoring that goal. He is now fourth all by himself in Avalanche history in power play goals. It was his 55th. He passed Peter Forsberg. So Saad gets called for interference during the back end of that major power play. They go four on four for a while. Then the Sharks get a bit of a power play later on. Grubauer had a couple big stops. Tyson Jost even had a chance shorthanded, but Avs kill it off, and then Miko Rantanen caps off the night by stuffing it from behind the net after Kadri missed wide for his fourth point of the game. Gabe got his fourth point on that play as well. Great night for all those guys. Grubauer does the splits again to make a stop there late. Sharks get a power play after a hooking call, but they cannot score. Career shutout number 14 for Phil Grubauer. Four of them now against the San Jose Sharks. We look at our three stars of the game. Miko Rantanen, two goals, two assists. Of course he was number one. Gabe, the other four-point player during this one. Goal and three assists for him. And then Grubauer, only 26 saves, but he stopped all 26 he faced. He gets the shutout in our third star of the game. We move on to the Anaheim Ducks, the first of nine games in a row at home for the Colorado Avalanche. Avs, after that game against San Jose, had scored first in 15 of 20 games so far this season. And that is a stat that really wouldn't matter much in this game because it didn't happen. But this was the first time Nate McKinnon was going to be out in his run right now. Kiefer Sherwood came in, a former Duck himself. Pretty okay start for the Avs. Kadri had a chance early. He just missed. And then Gibson had a pretty big stop on Burakovsky during another odd man rush. Avs buzzing early. It's what they usually do. You hear Brian Hayward, the uh, TV analyst for the Anaheim Ducks. Of course, those of you in Denver didn't hear it. I had to hear it here in Southern California, but it was a compliment here to Andre Burakovsky saying he might be the purest shooter on the entire team, which I know was a comment that was up for debate about what does that mean, purest shooter? Either way, it sounds good for TV, makes the team sound good, can't argue with it too much. So transition looking good early for Colorado, but they couldn't score. Ducks go on a power play. They can't score because... Troy Terry was called for slashing, so it went four on four. Avs got a short power play, nothing doing. Henrique hit a post behind Grubauer, and then not too much longer later, near the end of the period, Adam Henrique does score with nine seconds left in the frame. Ducks just kept the pressure in the zone, and it was another late period letdown for the Avs. Ricard Raquel got the helper. Ducks led one nothing after one, even though they were outshot by the Avs 10-9. To start the second period, boy, Jakob Silverberg... Just absolutely embarrassed Phil Grubauer over his left shoulder. It was pretty easy on that one. 2 nothing. Ducks led a rare lapse for Phil Grubauer, and it put the Avs down 2 nothing. And it almost felt like it was going to be a huge letdown game, didn't it? Effort in that second period was not great. Grubauer had to make a few saves that were really unnecessary, but he did get it done. So the Avs went to a power play after Cam Fowler was called for holding. Grubauer had to make a shorthanded save, and it looked like Things were just going to fall apart at the seams. Abs couldn't score at all. But Val Nachushkin starts his huge run of points scoring over the last week. Taps in a loose puck in front after JT Comfer forced the turnover. Saad got an assist on that play as well. Dirty goal. But you know what? Those are the kinds of things you have to do when things really aren't quite going your way. 
And then near the end of that period, the Avs get a goal as Brandon Saad pushes home a rebound. The team finally, you can see the energy is picking up in the middle of a game rather than just at the beginning. Joust had his initial try hop right over Gibson's stick, but Saad was able to pick it up, put it home. Dan Enough picks up his first point as an avalanche on that play as well. So we're all tied at two. After the second period, Anaheim continues a crazy streak of giving up two goal leads. It's incredible how many times they've done this. Avs out shooting Anaheim at this point, 23-18 after two periods. A couple power plays failed. Two for the Avalanche, one for the Ducks. Third period, Hockenpah saved a huge goal in front after he out-hustled Donskoy. Jonas looked like he was just going to go ahead and push that loose puck into the crease, but Yanni was able to recover. Make a nice play on Donskoy, and again, another one of those times where it looks like it's an easy goal, but it's just not going to happen. Ducks go on the power play. Avs able to kill it off, so no harm there. Gibson absolutely robs Nazem Kadri with a huge right pad on that two-on-one break. Then Anaheim starts to fight late in the third. They come back. Avs starting to back off just a little bit, but they're able to hold off. They do go on a power play, do the avalanche near the end of the period, but nothing doing. It did not look good at all, to be honest with you. And we end up going to overtime. All tied up at two. Pretty even frame, I think, from start to finish in that overtime period. But it's it's all Val Nachushkin, the way he's been playing. He knew he might wrap this one up. He gets the goal. Taves and Saad help set it up. Abs win 3-2. And for the second time in three matchups against Anaheim, the Avalanche go to overtime this time. They get it done. Three stars of the game. Nachushkin, two goals for him. Saad was number two with a goal and two assists. And we gave Devon Taves an assist also. He had a plus two on the night, so you got to be happy about that. And this is where things turn and unfortunately seem to be the way that these podcasts go over the last six weeks. I have to end the recap with losses. My goodness, this time it's two of them. Anyway, game two between Anaheim and Colorado first period. We see Miska and Miller go out between the pipes. It's the battle of the backups on this night in Denver. Comfer out. He had an upper body injury. Magnus steps in. And early on, Ricard Raquel off the draw beats Miska. After Steele won the draw on the Ducks for the second straight night, are able to score first. And it's around this time. And I think they realized it early, but any shot attempt on Hunter Miska is probably a good attempt. I talked about it during the broadcast here in Anaheim all night. Just shoot the puck at the net. Eventually something good is going to happen, and it did for Anaheim for much of the evening. Avs couldn't really connect on a pass the whole period. It was rough. It was rough. Nachushkin did have a steal. Pretty good shot on Miller. Couldn't score. And then Landeskog had an attempt too. That was gloved down after a nice pass by Nachushkin. But nothing doing for Colorado in that first period. They head to the break. Down a goal. one nothing. Second period begins. Terry and Comtois rush the net early. Almost get that second goal to double things up. Could have been deja vu all over again, but you know what? It ended up being that way anyway because Troy Terry absolutely undressed Sam Gerrard, Jacob McDonald, and Hunter Miska. And the local kid gets on board in Denver. Second goal of the night for Anaheim. Henrik and Mahura get the assists. Ducks keep pushing hard and eventually commit a penalty, however, as Lundestrom is called for holding on Landeskog. First power play of the game for either team comes late in the second period. Nothing doing for a while. And then, of course, after the power play is over, it's Logan O'Connor on a break after that great pass from Achushkin. And we're right back where we were. It went from 2-0 to 2-1, just like it did the night before. Could the Avs tie it up? You know they did. Ranton and bangs one off of Miller in front of the net. That one on the power play. 
And like I said, not only was it deja vu all over again, it was deja vu again all over again. And Sam Gerard gets his 100th career point to tie things up. They go to the third period, tied at two. Avs get another power play early, can't score, get a couple chances, but again, Ryan Miller looking like a Vezina winner one more time. And then finally, Landeskog breaks through. He redirects Oranton and try off his own block shot. Gerard gets another assist on this one. And then not too long later, Saad crashes the net, redirects an attempt from Burakovsky. And that's two goals in 24 seconds for Colorado to give themselves a 4-2 lead. You're feeling great. And then it all came tumbling down. Anaheim, this time giving other teams a taste of their own poison, I guess you could say. As Terry made Miska look real bad one more time. And it was just a huge whiff by Miska after it was whipped on target by Terry. It's now 4-3. Power play for the Ducks later on after Comtois got high-sticked. Just had a shorthand try, but he was robbed. And then Shattenkirk, a former avalanche, comes through traffic with that shot anyway. His first goal is a duck and the Avs blow a two-goal lead. They have not done that very much this year, if at all. And we head to another overtime period. Third overtime game against the Ducks in four matchups this season. Ducks go on a power play, though, pretty early. Rantanen gets called for tripping. First penalty kill the Avalanche have had to face in an overtime frame this year. And it was a shooting gallery from start to finish. Belmar did get a big clear against a couple of Ducks. And you think maybe they can get it done. But nope. Ryan gets laugh on the back door, wide open. He's left all alone as Ricard Raquel puts it right on the money. Ducks win 5-4, beat the Avs in overtime, and just an absolute implosion from the Avs in this one. They had two points right there sitting and waiting for them. Couldn't get it done. Couldn't get it done at all, and this is when the questioning of Hunter Miska begins. And I think we all have to keep in mind how little he's played in this league. And things like this are going to happen early on. These are just growing pains, honestly. Got to get over it. Move on. To the next, as the team hosted the Arizona Coyotes on Monday night. A couple of notes headed into this one. Avs, sixth best in the NHL this year on faceoffs. That's not bad. That's not a bad stat, especially for a team who doesn't traditionally do great on the faceoffs, at least in the past decade or so. Getting it done in the circle. And then early on, another post is hit. Ryan Graves rings one right behind Kemper after he beat him clean. Nothing doing. Coyotes go on a power play was very organized. I mean, you could see that Arizona is figuring out Colorado, and these are things that you're going to see when you have to play the same team eight times in the same year. Derek Brassard went five-hole after, get this, it deflects off Sam Gerrard's stick. Oh my goodness, we scored on ourselves again. This is going to be a sad trend as I continue on during this recap. Third straight power play goal allowed for the Avalanche after giving up two to Anaheim. Matter of fact, the Avs penalty kill dropped to fifth in the NHL after that Anaheim series. It's only dropping after that goal. Miko hits a post. The awful luck for this team continues. Through the first 11 and a half minutes of this first period, though, combined four shots on goal between the Coyotes and Avalanche. Both teams had two. But then Arizona on, eh, what is that? Their fifth shot of the period. They score again. As Shikrin from distance gets another deflection and it knuckles by Grubauer. Keller got an assist on that one. And you gotta be thinking to yourself, what on earth with these own goals? I'm calling every deflection off of an Av stick 
that goes into their own net and own goal. Whether or not there was anything they could do about it, because this is getting ridiculous. Abs get a power play, can't score near the end of the period. They trail by two again for a third straight night. This time it's going into the second period, rather than falling behind by two in the second period. Second period begins great shifts by the fourth and first lines. Good couple chances, but Kemper able to make saves again as the Avs eventually do go on the power play. Broussard called for slashing. Only lasted 16 seconds before Landeskog is called for tripping, and he didn't like it. You probably heard his words on the broadcast. Anyway, 500th career penalty minute for Gabe Landeskog. Clap, 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 clap. I don't know if you want that on your milestone checklist, but sure, why not? That's a lot of your life spent in the penalty box. Avs do score. Nachushkin continues his hot streak. He's in the slot off that perfect pass from Kadri. Graves got involved too for the secondary assist. Four points in the last three games at this point for Val Nachushkin, so well done for him. Teams exchange power plays. Nothing really going on. But then the Avs and Andre Burakovsky gets an absolute laser off from the dot. Gerard and Rantanen with the assists just catches a piece of Kemper's glove but goes under his arm and in. And the Avs once again, come from two goals down to tie it up, going to the third period. But Arizona gets a goal early in the frame. Larson deflects one in off of an Ekman-Larson shot. And it looked like it may have gone off of either Taves or enough. Not exactly sure which one of them caught it, but it could be the third own goal of the game. I just, I don't know what else to say. Rest of the period was just an absolute disaster. Avs can't get anything going. They go on the power play late. Eventually they pull Grubauer after a timeout with about a minute left on the power play. They cannot score. Rest of that third period was a wreck. Arizona wins 3-2. They were outshot in the game 35-14. Three goals on 14 shots. Avs score twice on 35. Give Darcy Kemper the tip of the cap. Give him a stick tap. Whatever you got to do, he dominated, and he owned this team tonight. Avs finished the week 2-2. Two and two. They do get 5 points out of it, though. Of course, for going to overtime and losing against Anaheim, they get the 1 and then the 2 wins. So 5 out of 8, it's not great, especially at home. You would like to get at least 6. But they get 5, and they are where they are. So that's your recap for the week as far as the games are concerned. We take a look ahead. We talked about Arizona coming up one more time on Wednesday night. And then L.A. over the weekend. So you know what to expect from Arizona. This is a team picking it up at the right time. Kings are playing about the same as the Coyotes are. They're starting to find their rhythm. L.A. lost to Anaheim on Monday night in overtime. That was a 6-5 game. It actually tied the record for most goals scored in a Kings-Ducks game. They had a couple 6-5 games. I think there was a 7-4 game too between those two teams in their history. But 6-5, Ducks win it in the extra period, but they're playing well, and they were down a couple goals in that game too, a couple of times, and were able to come back, and the Ducks blew another two-goal lead, but they held on to win that one. So that's the look ahead coming up. Coyotes once, Kings twice, and we'll see what happens. I usually end the show by saying, hey, let's go out there and hope for eight points. I'm going to be a little bit more realistic this week. Let's go with, um, I hope for four out of six. Let's try to get four out of six. That'd be great. Only three games this week. We'll turn that number down a little bit. You're listening to the Believe in Avalanche podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. Eric Pesolano with you. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram 
and now TikTok at Eric underscore Pesolano. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Believe in Avs, at B-L-E-A-V. In Avs, we'll have some more polls coming up this week and talk about the games coming up and the shuffling of the roster that continues. Earlier, I told you I wanted to talk about illegal hits, and we're going to do that here. We're getting late in the podcast, but we have a little bit of time to talk about it. We talk about Joachim Blitchfeld and his hit on Nate McKinnon and what we thought might happen, at least in the moment, what we thought would happen with his discipline. And as it turns out, we find out he gets two games. Two whole games for jamming your shoulder into a guy's chin. I'm not really sure it's necessary to determine whether or not it was intentional. I understand the precedent of he's a first-time offender. You're not going to throw the book at him. You don't need to throw the book at him, but you need to send a message, and I'm not sure two games does that. It's not so much that he did it intentionally. It's more of the fact that he did it recklessly. You got to teach these kids how to hit properly in this league. I don't know what's being taught at lower levels, but that hit right there was easily avoidable. In two games, I just don't know. You take a look at what Tom Wilson did to Brandon Carlo uh, from the Capitals. Wilson from the Capitals, Carlo of the Boston Bruins. Wilson goes in, does darn near the same thing, and jams a guy's head into the glass. And this guy is a multiple-time offender. He had a 20-game suspension back a few years ago that ended up getting reduced to 14. And then he gets seven games for this hit on Carlo. These are the hits that the league wants gone. And the biggest thing, all right, I get it. In the Avalanche game, they gave Blitchfeld a major penalty, and a match penalty. In that game with Boston, Wilson didn't even get a penalty. Not a minor, not a nothing. And then ends up with a seven-game suspension. Then we see Matt Calvert get hit pretty high by Demers against Arizona the other night. Don't hear anything about that. That's why Calvert got upset about it when his lid came off and went after him. It's also the reason why we categorize injuries as upper body and lower body. Because if they get specific, you know what these guys are going to do. They're going to go after those areas. Highly publicized that Matt Calvert has concussions. He's got the tin advisor. You knew somebody was going to do it. That's just sports. You go for every advantage you can. Some guys are going to be dirty about it. Some guys are going to do it nonchalant and still try to get the same result. That is sports. Unfortunately. NHL tried to find a way around it. Didn't work. And George Peros has the toughest job in the league, probably, trying to figure out how to make every single suspension hearing or disciplinary hearing somehow correlate to precedence. I don't know how you do that. It seems like there's way too many scenarios that can be brought up in a hearing. And I understand social media makes it very easy to point out how a hit was litigated in one scenario and then the same scenario was litigated differently. I guarantee you in those hearings, they're not going back and looking at all these different videos that you are all posting on Twitter and saying, well, what about this? Well, what about that? Too hard to do. Too hard to do. But it's got to start on the ice, and these referees have got to lay the hammer down. Call it a major, then go review it. It's in the rule book. You're allowed to do it. We've seen it in the NFL with them changing their rules as far as replays are concerned. Call the harshest penalty you can, and then go check on it and see if you can lessen it. That might be the best way to do it on the ice and then disciplinary hearing, and tack on to what happened. So there's a lot to be said about these illegal hits that continue to occur in the National Hockey League, but they have got to get this locked down. You can't have guys going out there headhunting. Whether or not it's intentional, you have to be taught 
how to not be reckless going in at a guy's head. They still haven't outlawed fighting, which, you know, that's a whole other conversation for another day. I'm not here to say whether or not it should be in the sport. I'm just here to talk logic. If you're worried about player safety and you're worried about guys getting hit in the head, why are you still letting them punch each other in the head? It doesn't make any sense to me. We all love fighting. It's part of the game. We understand that. Hard to send out a message about worried about player safety and concussions and then still letting them go out there and punch each other in the head and not step in for a minute. It just doesn't make sense. That's all I'm saying. So the wild inconsistencies continue to occur when it comes to penalizing these hits via suspensions, via on-ice penalties. It's got to be squared away. I don't work in that player safety department, but I will tell you one thing. If you look at two hits and one shows a guy who's reckless going at a head, maybe not intentionally, and another one where a guy intentionally goes at the head, how two games in one and seven in the other makes sense, I just don't know. It needs to be more for both of them. It needs to be. Especially when the guy you hit is probably going to miss more time than that. Not that that happened in this scenario, but it could, and that's what you need to protect against. Let's take a look around the league real quick. Of course, the big news out of Calgary, Jeff Ward let go. Daryl Sutter comes in. Sutter known mostly for the two Stanley Cups he won while down here in Southern California with the Los Angeles Kings back in 2012 and 2014. Big congratulations to Keith Yandel, who played his 1,000th career NHL game for the Florida Panthers down there. He has been a mainstay in this league for a long time. Congratulations to him. And of course, our condolences go out to the Gretzky family. Walter Gretzky, the father of Wayne, passes away at 82. And here's a guy who, as much as we say in Southern California that there would be no West Coast hockey without Wayne, well, it's got to start with his father first, right? The guy who raised him. And the guy who showed him how to love this sport is now departed us. And we're going to miss him greatly for that. Walter Gretzky gone at the age of 82. But on a lighter note, as we wrap things up here on today's episode, my nostalgia kicked in big time today before I recorded this episode. It has been reported that the National Hockey League and ESPN have agreed to a media deal, which means the NHL could be coming back to ESPN. I'm using words like reportedly... And could be, because it has not been confirmed yet, but if it does get confirmed, oh, kick up that theme song. It's time to hear it one more time. I was going to play it for you, so you could listen to it here on the podcast, but I ain't paying for that. You know what it sounds like, and you can probably go on YouTube and find it. So I'll let you do all that legwork. But somebody go find Gary Thorne. Somebody go find Bill Clement. Yes, I know it probably won't be them, but it's always great to dream, isn't it? <laughs> You know, Steve Levy called NHL games for ESPN for a long time as well. I don't think he'll be back, though, because he's doing Monday Night Football now for the network, but it'll be interesting to see who gets tabbed as that head broadcast crew. But the most important thing is, that theme song is going to make its return. And on that note, I bid you adieu here on this episode of the Believe in Avalanche podcast. I'll say it again as we sign off here. Hoping for four points in those three games here over the next three nights. Arizona, LA, and LA. Don't forget, go to social media. You can follow us at Believe in Avs on Twitter, at B-L-E-A-V in Avs. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter as well, at Eric underscore Pesolano. And Eric Pesolano over on TikTok. Hope you all have a great week. 
And let me be the last to wish you a happy International Women's Day. And we'll talk to you next week on the show. You've been listening to the Believe in Avalanche podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. Talk to you later, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.